up after. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Can be. And if you've thought about giving up, well, you're not the first one. Every single one of us tuning in online or in this room has experienced the pain that comes sometimes with relationships. Maybe the one you're in, maybe the one you're just coming out of. We've all gone through that. We've experienced that. We've felt that. And I just happen to believe that Christians ought to be better at relationships. In fact, I just think that we ought to be better than anybody else. Now, listen, can we just name that Christians aren't historically good at everything, okay? Like, for instance, dancing. You know, have you ever been to a Christian dance? It's two hours of awkwardness, okay? I mean, we're just not historically good at dancing. Uh, We're not historically good at committees, Even though every church has them, businesses have committees, government has committees, but churches love committees, but we're not good at them. If you've been in church long enough, you've served on a dysfunctional committee who met a lot and made no decisions and did nothing constructive, right? Anybody ever done, uh, been on a church committee like that? I've known people leave churches because they were on a committee to pick carpet color and the church picked a different carpet color than the committee picked. We're not good at that, but I think that we ought to be better than anyone else at relationships. I think if there's anything that we ought to thrive at, people who follow Jesus, it's relationships. And that's because we have a secret. Did you know that? We have a secret. This is our relationship secret. We know what love is is. I mean, that word, whew, it's thrown all around out there, isn't it? Love. I love you. I love this. I love that. But we really know what love is. So the more love begins to get involved in a relationship, the more we ought to be better at it. The better Christians ought to be at it. We ought to be the best at dating. We ought to be the best at marriage because we know what love is. And that's why we're calling this message the secret to happy relationships. And we're going to look at a scripture that is about uh, really any kind of relationship. But I want to I help us think about this to apply it to the most important relationship that many of us will ever have. Marriage should be an earthly picture of our relationship to God. It's an opportunity for us to show what surrender and unconditional love look like for another person. And there is no one who should know what surrender and unconditional love look like better than people who call themselves followers of Jesus, the author and perfecter of surrendering sacrifice and unconditional love. No one should know what surrender and unconditional love look like better than Jesus' people. So this should be a tangible model of our relationship to God. This is an opportunity for us to exemplify to one other person on earth what God's love for us looks like. But too often, we have forgotten our secret. Too often, relationships in the church don't look too much different than relationships out in the world. 
And I want to contend that they ought to look way different, way better. Now, if you are tuning in today or you're in the room and you are just over marriage or you just decided like marriage is not for you and you're like, where does this even relate to me? Here, I want to just tell you, I'm so glad you're tuning in to be a part of this series. I believe that you can apply this message to all relationships. It's really, a, uh, it's really just a relationships kind of scripture. But what I hope you'll do is I hope that you will pray for those in our church that are in dating relationships, and I hope you will pray for those in married uh, relationships in our church during this series. Because we want to fight for marriages at Mountaintop. We want to be known as a church that has strong marriages. And so if that's you, because listen, we, one of our values is being for each other, and that, is, that means we're for each other having strong marriages. One of our values is excellent. We want people to have excellent marriages, excellent relationships. And frankly, I don't want anyone from Mountaintop to ever get divorced again. Like ever. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if, if, if we had just such strong relationships, if we were leaning into marriage so well that we just became known in Birmingham as the place where if you want your marriage to thrive, that this is where we're going to be because we're going to walk with you in this. We're going to teach you how to love better. We're going to learn from God how to love better. I would love that to be just kind of a story uh, of our church and a part of our relationships because you can win at everything else, but if you fail at this, it will wreck you. And some of you have lived that. You can win at work. You can win at your career. You can win at money. You can win at everything else, but if you fail at this, it will wreck you. And I want you to win in your marriage. It's such a complicated deal, isn't it? I mean, it's the most important family member that we have, but we're not related to them. They don't have to be there. They choose to be there. And that's the, that's the whole weird thing about it. It's like this, this family relationship that we have chosen to be a part of, and you can get your heart broken at any minute. So we want to just walk with you, and I hope today we'll, um, we'll address what I believe is, is the source of almost all relationship trouble. Now, this is a uniquely Christian perspective. Um, I mentioned last week that over this series, we're looking at three passages written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote on relationships so much. Two of the passages are specifically about dating and marriage relationships. Today is a kind of a generic relationship that we're going to apply to marriage. But we're looking at three passages from the Apostle Paul. It's written by a Christian for Christians. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. If you're not a Christ follower, you can do relationships however you want to. You, you can do, but I, if I could give you some advice, I would put today's scripture into practice in your life. I would put it in practice in your life. Now, I hope you'll know that if, if you're new to faith, new to church, what I want for you most is to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. 
What I want for you more than anything is for you to come to the realization that God loves you just as we sang about that though you are broken, though we are sinners, that he saves us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. He rose from the dead and we can have new life in him. And gosh, that's what our base camp study is all about that you can be a part of starting next week. I, but if I were you, I would apply what we're going to talk about today into your relationship in dating and marriage. If you're a Christian, this is just how we do it. Like there's no other way. There's no other option. This is what Christian relationships look like. So let me talk about this, this issue that Paul is going to address, but kind of let me talk about the negative side of it before he teaches us what our response should be as followers of Christ. This is the most toxic thing in relationships. This is the poison to relationships. And what I'm talking about is selfishness. Woo! Selfishness. It's the most toxic thing. It will show up in your finances. It will show up in your bedroom. It will show up in your conversations. It will show up in how you spend time. It will show up in what you eat for dinner, how you parent together, how you deal with other family, with extended family. And it can happen so subtly. It's so subtle. It happens when I put my needs first, where I want to go, what I want to do, how I want to spend money, where I want to eat. It's simply thinking about me first. And the reason this is such an issue is we are all naturally selfish beings. I mean, we all know we have survival instincts, right? Like you just have these instincts that I think we have a, a happiness instinct. It's like a survival instinct that just shows up and we mostly head toward doing whatever will make us happy. Like our natural, we naturally drift toward whatever makes us happy. And we're often blind to this. And our, usually our spouse won't tell us that we're doing this. They'll just all of a sudden get tired of coming in second. And when that happens, you got trouble. So let me just tell you what selfishness does in a marriage, okay? If you both selfishly put yourself first, both of you will always feel like you're second. This is how marriages get sideways. Because over years and years, they put themselves first. And the crazy thing is, by putting with both, if both in a couple in a marriage put each other first, they will both eventually feel like they're second. Because deep down, you don't want to be first to yourself. You want to be first to someone else. You want to be loved. You want to be cherished. You want to be somebody's valentine. You don't want to be, and so this will just eat away at a marriage because over time you'll so get sick and so get tired and, and just hurt at coming in second. Who wants, to, who wants to spend their lives with someone who does this? Who wants to spend the rest of their life with someone who puts themselves first? So what about you? Where are you at on this spectrum? It's so easy, and it shows up in the craziest ways. Years ago, I was counseling this very young couple and uh, man, they were just having some tension and uh, they came to my office and I sat down and I said, you know, well, tell me what's going on. And they, they were talking about it. Really, they were just started talking about really it's just selfishness, this and that, and this and that. And finally, the guy says, well, let me give you an example. 
and he says, you know, every time I cut the grass, when it's sunny and hot, every time, not once has she brought me a cold bottle of water while I'm cutting grass. And I thought, would you like a balloon and a certificate too? I mean, if that is your thought when you're doing something to serve your family, then you, you've got problems. Listen, I just want you to know I cut the grass in my family. Uh, Emily and I share different things, different tasks. I've been doing it for 20 years. I hadn't gotten a cold bottle of water yet. It's probably because I know where the fridge is. <laughs> so if I need one, I can turn it off at any moment and go get a cold bottle of water. All right? But it's so easy to just do, I mean, and you just thought, when you've got that kind of attitude, that's a problem. And so let me just tell you something before we get to just dive into the scripture, just couples, let me tell you that selfishness is a reason to run in dating and a reason for counseling in marriage. And I'm not saying that flippantly. If you are in a dating relationship and you are sensing selfishness, sweetheart, you need to run. Buddy, you need to run. Because they are not going to drift toward becoming selfless. They are probably going to drift toward becoming more selfish. And if you're in marriage, this, time, this, can, this can start to eat away. And it might mean counseling. Um, we've got marriage mentors here at Mountaintop. If you're part of our church family, if you're watching online from out of state, we, we'll Zoom marriage mentors. We would love to partner with you. You contact Linda Crump, our, our group's pastor. She'll, get you, she'll pair you with a couple. It's, it's pretty much free just for you to have a couple that walks with you that's a l few more steps down the road with you. That might be a place to start. That might lead you to a place, to a counseling relationship later on. But you've got to get some help. It's so to it can be so toxic to relationships um, if you do that. But the antidote to that selfishness poison is found in what the Apostle Paul teaches us about relationships in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles uh, in your lap at home or here, you want to open them up, or you got your phones or your device, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible and you're new uh, in the room, we'd love to just take one of the bookshelf. We want that to be our gift to you. So listen to what Paul says about relationships, and boy, is this different than what the world says about relationships. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, if you are cutting the grass to get a cold bottle of water, you might be doing it for the wrong reasons. Do what? Let me, let me try this again. I'm sure you people at home did it much better than the ones in the room. <laughs> Do what? Nothing. No chores. No serving. Uh, no, you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We do nothing. If you're doing it for you, you're doing it wrong or you're doing the wrong thing. Do nothing. And then Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It, instead, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your marriage, you might say, value her 
above her, value her above yourself or value him above yourself, not looking to my interests, but to the interests of my spouse. This is a, this, listen, this is remarkable right here. I want to tell you something, and this is why, this is why we call this the secret, okay? This is a uniquely Christian perspective. And let me explain. This word, humility, right here. In the Greek, I'm going to have to look at my notes to pronounce that right. It's a big word. Tapainafrasune. Tapainafrasune. That's just kind of fun to say, isn't it? This word, humility, tapainafrasune, in the Greek language, here it is in Greek down here. This word did not exist in Greek. The New Testament was written all in Greek, all right? This noun form of humility, the way you and I think of humility, did not exist in the Greek language. Not in Socrates, not in Aristotle, not in Pythagoras, not in Plato, or any other of the Greek philosophers in all the Greek writing that existed in the world. The word humility in noun form was never used. It, the only in the, it was only used in adjective form of to say humble, but not in the way you and I would describe someone as humble, the way you would describe uh, someone who was poor or kind of had um, shabby beginnings, the way you, might, you and I might say like, um, I come from humble origins or I lived in humble circumstances. And what does that mean? You know, I mean, it means just kind of like, hey, listen, we didn't have a lot growing up, right? Come from humble beginnings. But the word humility, the value, and the reason is because humility was not a virtue in Greek culture because their, their response would have been, why in the world would I put someone else's needs before mine? Who would do that? Why would I not put me first? Why would I not lean into my happiness instinct to make me happy? Who in the world would do this? So Peter Paul and Luke, primarily, those three authors in the New Testament used this noun verb of humility because they had seen humility live in person in a Savior who loved them and gave himself up for them. They had seen humility in action. Isn't that unbelievable? This is a uniquely Christian secret to how to do relationships. It is an invention. Jesus invented humility. Invented it to put someone else above myself. So Paul says, here's how you do it. You want to know how you do humility? You, every morning you get up and you do your own personal AP top 25 rankings, but the only ones that matter are number one and number two. Number one, their interest. Number two, your interest. Number one, their interest. Number two, your interest. Why don't you just say that? I'm going to say number one, you say their interest. I'm going to say number two, you say your interest. Say it with me at home there too. Number one, number two, they come first. Their interest. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Where do you want to eat? I'm talking about doing something that you don't want to do so that they don't have to do it because you know they don't want to do it either. 
doing something that you don't want to do so they don't have to do it because you know they don't want to do it either. Their needs, their interests come first. And you know what will do a world of good is in marriage, if when this happens to you and you sense that your spouse has put you first, if you will just say thank you, it will do a world of good. I, I told you I cut the grass typically. My wife typically does the laundry and with four boys and she does a lot. And so sometimes, especially when my clothes are clean, or just every once in a while, I just try to say, hey, thank you. Thank you. It does a world of good. Man, when I cut the grass and Emily says, thank you for cutting the grass. The yard looks good. Man, I'm walking around Home Depot like, <laughs> yard looks good. Come on over to my house. There's just something in you to just say, because you didn't do it for that. So when your spouse does that, when you sense that, if you would just say thank you. If you're single, this is something to be looking for in a spouse. And this is something to be working on. Are you someone who puts others' needs first or are you always putting your needs first? And are you dating someone who is putting your needs first? And if you're married, this is something that we continue to grow in. We take a lower position. So... Paul, okay, I get it. If there could there be a could you give us a good example of what humility looks like? Sure, Paul says. Let me tell you exactly what humility looks like. And he says, in your relationships with one another. And it's great. In your relationships, in your dating, in your marriage, it can relate to your friendships, but this ought to especially be in our core key relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Ooh, does that mean I sit on the throne like the king of kings? Does that mean I rule over the household like he rules over the nations? Yeah, not exactly. Now, this is what I mean, Paul says. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus is God. He was before all things, in all things. All things were made by him, through him, in him, and he holds all things together. He is the firstborn from all creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega. He is it. And he decided not to use his status as God to be used to his own advantage. And then he, then he writes this gigantic word, rather, rather, instead of using his position to his own advantage, instead of that rather, this is what he did, rather, he made himself nothing. Nothing. You don't know what humility looks like? It looks like a God who came to earth who made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, a king who becomes a servant. Being made in human likeness, a God who becomes a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross.
You want to know what humility looks like. You want to know what real sacrificial surrendering love looks like. It looks like death. And here's what it looks, here's the kind of death that looks in marriage. Are you willing to die to your wants, to your needs, to your desires every single day for the rest of your life? I've thought about making that part of the vows when I do a wedding. I'm willing to die to my desires, my needs, my wants every day for the rest of my life for this person I'm standing on here in the altar with. Because that's what marriage is. That's what marriage should look like. That's what Christian marriage looks like. How would you like to be married to someone who does that? And men, can I just, listen, can I just speak to men just for a minute? This is what it looks like to be a spiritual leader in your home. Spiritual leadership does not look like a king on a throne in Jesus. It looks like a savior on a cross. And if you want to be a leader in your house, then we do what Paul says, that we love our wives like Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for the church to cleanse her and, 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 and present her spotless before God. That's what it means to lead in our homes. Man, when we get this backwards in marriage, it goes all wrong, right? If you selfishly put yourself first, then you always end up feeling like you're second. But Paul offers a solution, a secret. And here's the secret. If you both humbly put your spouse first, both of you will always feel like you're first. If you both humbly put your spouse first and put yourself second, you're like, oh, I don't want to be second. I want Here's the crazy things. You'll both feel like you're first. Because deep down, what we want is to be loved and cherished by someone, not to just rank number one in our own rankings. We want to be number one in somebody else's heart. And so if we'll do that, this is what marriage is. This is, marriage is not compromise. Marriage is sacrifice and surrender. Marriage is not, I meet in the, we meet in the middle. It's not 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. Marriage is, I go all in 100% for you, and you go all in 100% for me. This is what we should, and we should get better at this as we get older. We should get better at this the longer we're married, the longer we're together, because the more you know each other, the more you know how to make each other happy. The more you know what gets on her nerves, the more you know what grinds his gears. So stop doing it. And the more you know what pleases them, and the more you know how to love them, and yet somehow, somehow, we often drift towards selfishness in marriage, and we drift instead of closer and getting better at this, we get farther away, and we end up on a date at Outback Steakhouse, and we talk nicer to the server who's giving us our Alice Springs chicken and our steak than we do to our spouse. And you hadn't talked that nice to your spouse in years. But we ought to be better. It just goes wrong. It's so easy to get bad at this. And it shows up in the strangest, tiniest ways. There's a great scene in a, in a, a movie called The Breakup, which is about a relationship between characters played by Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. And uh, they have just had a dinner party. 
and uh, there's, you know, you ever done that? And the, the place is a mess. The kitchen's full of, you know, dishes in the sink. She, she doesn't like a dirty kitchen. She wants to get right to it and clean uh, the dishes right when the last door, you know, the door closes behind the last guest leaving and he wants to veg out for a little while. And he says, you know, I'll get it later. And um, he asked a pretty profound question uh, in their argument. Well, I'm gonna go do the dishes. Cool. It'd be nice if you help me. Fine, I'll help you do the dishes. Oh, come on, you know what? No, that's, see, that's not what I want. You just said that you want me to help you do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Why would I want to do dishes? Why? See, that's my whole point. Why would I want to do dishes, do the dishes? I want to play Grand Theft Auto or Madden or watch TV. Why in the world would anyone want to do dishes? Does this look fun to you? Why would I want to do the dishes? Why would I want to mow the grass? Why would I want to fold the laundry? Why would I want to pick up the kids from practice? Why would I want to go out of my way after work to run that errand for you? Why would I want to pick up the dry cleaning? Why would I want to go to your parents for the holidays? Why would I want to do any of that? Who in the world wants to do the dishes rather than play Xbox? There's only re one reason, only one. Because your, your happiness, you're going to do what you want to do. There's only one reason that for 30 or 40 or 50 or maybe 60 years that I would continually over and over do what I don't want to do for someone else. And that is that I have decided to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather in humility, I'm valuing this person above myself. And I'm not gonna look to my own interest, but to the interest of her or of him. And in my relationship together, I've decided to have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, so I'm not going to use my position for my own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, so I'm going to make myself nothing and take the nature of a servant. 
Because he made himself in human likeness and found as an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when I said I do, if Jesus did that for me, the least I can do is die for this person every day for the rest of my life. Because I love Jesus and am loved by Jesus and I then know what love is. And if you will both humbly put your spouse first, both of you will somehow, when it's all said and done, (laughs) feel like you came in first your whole life. That's the secret. But it's really not a secret. It's been in the book all along. If we would just obey it. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to love us. (laughs) Your word says that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. Lord, help us to so love our spouses that we give, we serve, we humble ourselves, we die to ourselves, we take on the nature of a servant, we put their needs first. Lord, I just want to pray for marriages right now struggling with this tension, that today would be a day where things begin to turn around that today would be a day when, when, they, when people start deciding to put their spouse first. That today would be a day that we choose to die to ourselves because you taught us what it looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song. Um, it's a little interesting song to close with called Resurrecting. Um, and it's got a powerful line and it says uh, the resurrected king is resurrecting me and here's what I believe now I don't know where you're at in your relationship and maybe some of your marriages maybe this hit home today I want to just tell you we serve a God who resurrects marriages we serve a king who is still in the resurrection business And so my prayer is today, and if you want to come up and kneel down here at the front, if you're at home watching as a couple and you want to get down beside your kitchen table or your couch and kneel down and just pray together and say, Lord, we want to do this. We want to put each other first. You're invited today as we stand and sing about this resurrected God. Let's worship.